Hi, everybody, and welcome to the weekly message for The Table. The Table is a church in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity and from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness and from fear toward faith. I'm Pastor Rob Leverage, and it is good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. This is the third installment in a sermon series, a four-part sermon series that we're sharing um, based around the question, is grace sufficient? Every week we're looking at the question, is grace sufficient from a different point of view or within the context of different challenges that we face in life? So last week we focused our attention on our guilt and, you know, our sin, our personal failures, shortcomings. I'm looking at the man in the mirror, right? And the question is, um, can we, can you and I, can we trust God as we grapple with the whole truth of our guilt, okay? And, and particularly if the weight of guilt persists over time and perhaps even through our expo- exploration and, forgive- and, and experience of forgiveness, if guilt nevertheless still persists and we still feel it, it's still there, if it's not something that we're going to outlive, how can we allow grace, you know, in that scenario? to be sufficient for us as we carry on. That was our focus for last week. Well, this week we're going to reverse things a little bit. Um, We're still asking the question, you know, can grace be sufficient for us? And how can it be sufficient? But now we're going to be considering other people's choices and other people's wrongdoing and other people's sins that have harmed us. Right? And, and in particular, we're going to be talking about scenarios where, you know, things are not made right between us and a person who has hurt us. Like if you are hurt by somebody else's wrongdoing and you deserve an apology, right? <laughs> or you deserve restitution. You, you deserve to be paid back if, if something was taken from you. Um, you deserve some kind of justice or even, come on, you know, you deserve some basic courtesy, right? An acknowledgement from the person of, of what they did and maybe some steps um, that they can take um, to, uh, to, to apologize and make things better. But these steps are not forthcoming. The person who hurt you simply is not going to do what is necessary to make things right. Okay. That's the scenario, right? And you have been in this scenario. This person, you know, is it a stranger? Sometimes, right? Sometimes it could be somebody that you know, but you have kind of an impersonal relationship, maybe a connection at work or at school or in business. And then, of course, in many cases, it could be somebody that you have been emotionally close to, a good friend, a family member, a romantic partner, and, and in these scenarios, the relationship surely is damaged, right? It may be broken completely, and maybe you wish that things could return to the way they used to be. But without the other person acknowledging what they did and seeking forgiveness, reconciliation is not going to be possible, and that is heartbreaking. It really is. So it's in this kind of scenario that we are going to ask, is grace sufficient? Now, with this framing in mind, we're going to hear two brief scriptures right now. Both of them 
are words from Jesus, teachings uh, that Jesus gave. And it's a little bit of uh, cherry picking, and I apologize for that. I, I try not to do that too much. But this is one little little snippet over here and one little snippet over here that are taken out of larger, uh, larger, and more expansive uh, sets of teaching from Jesus. But I'm just going to grab this verse over here and this verse over here. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll forgive me for, for that cherry picking. But okay. So we've got, we're going to hear two things from two different places in the gospel. And in the first reading, um, we're dealing with a person, well, they're both teachings about, you know, forgiveness and, and praying for people um, who, who, have, who are in the wrong. But in the first reading, you'll see, um, you know, this is in a scenario where the other person clearly wants to confess and they want to make amends and they want to repent. Okay, and in the second reading, the second scripture, you're going to see that that spirit of goodwill on the part of the other person is absent. Okay, so this is the the setup. So let's open our hearts now, open our minds, and give a good listen. Okay, the first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. And the second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Love completely as you have seen God love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, it's sad but true. But we all have had this experience in which we were wronged and in which apology, restitution, reconciliation are not going to happen, right? And in these situations, of course, we, we discover that the harm is twofold, okay? The, there is the harm, first of all, of what was actually done, the betrayal, the theft, the lie, the cruelty, the negligence, whatever it was that actually happened. Right? The thing that the other person did you know, it just has real-world significant consequences for you. This person hit you with their car, right? <laughs> or, and you were terrible, terribly injured, you know, whatever. Fill in the blank, right? The actual thing had actual tangible consequences, right? The course of your life was altered. That's the first harm. But there is an additional harm, right? And sometimes... Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, depending on the circumstances, people feel 
that the second harm is actually worse, and that is the avoidance of responsibility. That somebody who did you wrong, they feel that they don't owe you anything, right? In some cases, they may even blame you. They may try to deflect responsibility, right, for their wrongdoing onto you. They're going to blame you for the harm that they caused, right? This is a unique kind of hurt because this other person is, is sort of making this statement that you don't matter. Mm -hmm. Like the consequences of their actions and their choices and their words, all the consequences that you have had to deal with, that, that's not important to them. It doesn't really, it's not significant. It doesn't matter, right? They don't think that they are accountable for the harm that they have caused. And that just feels terrible, right? When you're on the other side of that, it just feels absolutely awful. A friend of mine found out years ago that several of her colleagues at work who had comparable roles and experience to her, um, they were getting paid more than she was. This is about 20 years ago, I'm not sure. Um, but this happened over the span of many, many years. And her colleagues were getting paid more than she was by quite a lot. It was in a university setting where there were clear policies about equal and fair treatment of employees. She was in a male-dominated department, and she was getting paid less than the men. She had all sorts of awards and commendations that indicated that her actual performance in the job and her value to the department was excellent right? Impeccable. She, so she went to the person who oversaw the contracts and the salaries, this person that she had viewed as a friend up until that point. And she just said to them, you know, um, there is a pay disparity here. And his response to her was, yes, I, I know that. When, when she asked why he had allowed this disparity to you know, continue. So he's, he's not actually the boss. It's not like a business where he's uh, the number one person. He's just the person who, who, do, who functions in this particular role with the contracts and the, the compensation um, in this larger system. Um, and she asked him why he had facilitated her being underpaid. And his response was, was that it just made budgetary sense for them to pay her as little as they could get away with, even though it pretty clearly looked like discrimination, right? He really had no qualms about underpaying her for years and years and years. Um, so obviously the, the first harm to her was the enormous amount of income that she lost out on because of this unfair practice. Um, she could have financed a big part of her retirement with this. It was like a new car every year kind of money. Um, but the, the second harm was this emotional wound because this person who she had thought of as her friend really didn't mind treating her unfairly. Right? And he had no inclination to apologize. Now, she was an excellent candidate for a lawsuit, but I'm not going to tell you if she sued, because uh, that's not, not really the point. Maybe she sued, 
Maybe she didn't. But I will tell you, she was just so hurt. You know, she felt betrayed. And that feeling stayed with her for a long time. Yeah. I have another friend <laughs> and a mentor who told me about a time that he was victimized. Um, his home was burglarized and a lot of his things were stolen. Worth uh, Things worth thousands of dollars. Irreplaceable works of art. Some of his most prized possessions. But the aspect, there was one aspect of the burglary that he still thinks about all the time, regularly. He wakes up in the middle of the night sometimes thinking about this, even after many years have passed. And it, here's what it is. Whoever broke into his home, you know, while they were in the middle of stealing his stuff, they opened his refrigerator and they took out a carton of orange juice and they drank from it and left it sitting on the kitchen countertop with the cap off. Yeah. That detail, more than anything else about this ordeal, has stayed with him. And he emotionally, he, he really has let go of the physical things that he will never see again, like the Afghan rug that they stole. But, oh, man, that orange juice still infuriates him. Because it, it was a different kind of invasion of his space and a different kind of insult. It was demeaning in a different kind of way, right? We're not just, it, it's like they were saying, we're not just going to take things from you, things that have monetary value for our own livelihood, right? As bad as that is. But we're going to rummage through your refrigerator and your, your leftovers and, and we're going to leave a mess, <laughs> Right, just so that you know how entitled we feel to trample on your dignity. Yeah. Mm. Whew, man. So the, these criminals, uh, they were not apprehended. Uh, my friend never got his stuff back. And I'm sad to say <laughs> he has never received an apology, right? So friends, the, the New Testament is full of commands and instructions um, to forgive. The Gospels, the letter of, letters of Paul, they tell us over and over to forgive and forgive again and forgive again, right? Uh, there's, there's one scripture I didn't read, but it's, it's uh, where Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive uh, somebody who's wronged me? Seven times. And Jesus is like, nah, no, 77 times or seven times 70. Um, yeah, it can feel like a lot to ask, you know, all of these commandments to give, like you have to for, forgive, uh, you know, when you have been wronged and depending on your, your frame of mind, you know, when you're reading some of these scriptures, you might feel like, I don't know, I, I don't know, it's a tall order. I don't know if I can pull that, that off. But when I think about the two stories of my friends that I just told, you know, I think that they would love Jesus's command that we read from the Gospel of Luke, in which he says, if a person forgives, you must, sorry, if we're, Jesus says, if a person repents, you must forgive, okay? Because these two friends of mine, they, I have to say, they would be eager to forgive if the ones who wronged them 
came to them and repented and apologized and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to pay back, right? I'm very sorry, right? Confess, apologize, acknowledge that what they did was wrong. These friends of mine, in these particular situations, they would not withhold forgiveness. But that repentance is not coming. I mean, I would say almost definitely not coming. There's always a chance, right? There's always a chance that my friend will get a knock at the door um, and, uh, you know, there will be some contrite person saying, years and years ago, I broke into this house and I drank your orange juice and I'm sorry. Uh, but he's not holding out for that. And in the other circumstance, um, part of what made that, um, that emotional wound so hard, my friend who who had been underpaid in, in comparison to her, her colleagues at work, was that um, she was living with a certain level of uh, uh, resentment about that. But then the person that she felt betrayed by died. And, and she realized that there was never going to be, you know, a, a true grappling with what had happened. She was never going to come to an understanding with this person, and there was never going to be an apology, right? And so living with that, like at the, at, as of the time that that person died, um, she felt the burden of the, the hurt actually increased at that time. Okay, so the repentance that is indicated in this teaching, this command really from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, that repentance is not present in the stories that I just told, these illustrations, right? And it's, it's not present in many scenarios that you and I face throughout our lives in which we have been wronged. So, okay, um, more often, well, I don't know about it, more often, People do apologize, even in this day and age. But in many cases, right, we have situations that are more like what we have indicated in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, love your enemies. You know, if he's calling somebody your enemy, we're really, we're, he's really not referring to like this friend that you have that kind of screwed up and they haven't said sorry yet right? No, he's saying, when he's saying love your enemies, he's really saying, um, he's really fo saying focus your attention on people for whom you can expect no reciprocity of goodwill, right? Focus your attention on people that you cannot ever expect uh, to confess and apologize and repent and ask for forgiveness. So Jesus says, love your enemies Bless those that curse you, right? And do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's kind of some, some <laughs> wordy, wordiness there. Um, if you or I successfully heed this instruction from Jesus, we would be proceeding on a course of action irrespective of what the person who hurt us decides to do with their life. Okay, they can see the light or not. They can do the right thing or not. They can repent or not. But our choices for what we're going to do is not going to depend on them. You follow? So when Jesus says, do this so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, 
Okay, that's not to say, like, this is how you end up being children of God, you know? This is, this is what we, how we earn the right to be called God's children, right? Be, this, no. <laughs> We're God's children no matter what. Okay, um, so we do not love our enemies and bless those who, who persecute us in order to get standing as God's children. No, we are already God's children, but if we love our enemies and if we do good to those who hate us and pray for those who persecute us, basically we are, we are dedicating ourselves, our time and our energy, to living out that particular identity as God's children. And that is as opposed to dedicating ourselves to fulfilling some other identity right? What other identity besides being God's children? Well, in, in a situation where we've been wronged, maybe we would like to fulfill the identity of being the ones who win an argument, right? That, that would be our identity, you know, the ones who prevail and, and demonstrate how righteous we are, or the, the ones who all right-thinking people will sympathize with, right? These are identities that we can feel very tempted to pursue, right? But if we heed Jesus' commandment in uh, chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, we release ourselves from the pursuit of all those other identities. And we, we basically say we're going to be satisfied <laughs> with the identity as God's children. Right? That's what this is about. So if we're in this situation and we're moving forward in life, after being hurt by someone who will not apologize or repent, what do we do in our desire to rely on God's grace, right? Um, recalling the Apostle Paul, if this hurt is our thorn in the flesh, right, and we don't want to resign our joy and purpose in life to depend on this thorn being removed, Okay, how can we allow grace to be sufficient? Well, I have a couple of suggestions. As always, I don't really know the answer to these questions that I pose in, a, in any ultimate or definitive sense. But I have some suggestions. I have some thoughts. So first, first thought is that if you've been hurt, it is good to protect yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. Protect yourself. Um, you can close the door on the person who has done you harm, right? This person who will keep doing you harm if you keep engaging with them. Do you close the door on them temporarily for a season of your life, for, for some years? Do you do it permanently and say never again? I don't know. You're going to need to sort that out, obviously, in every particular situation. But I just want to uh, affirm the point, you know, that we can say no to people who are doing us harm, right? People who have hurt us and will hurt us more, right? We can say no to that. Um, now, with that in mind, I should just emphasize you know, we cannot be completely safe in this life. Um, we're really not uh, going to be able to protect ourselves completely, 100%, from anything bad ever happening to us or anybody ever manipulating or abusing or uh, betraying our trust or anything like that. And honestly, 
safety is not the purpose of life. Um, beauty, compassion, generosity, all the really good stuff in life, right? The stuff that we think it makes life worth living, all of this stuff requires risk. It's true. So nobody <laughs> is going to get through this life without being hurt and sometimes hurt badly. But if there is a person whose way of relating to you is just simply destructive, you know, they're just a wrecking ball <laughs> in your life, right? Um, you should say no to them. Close the door on that connection. How you make that happen, like logistically, like what are the steps tangibly? Obviously, I, you know, that is for you to figure out with some trusted loved ones who will help you, you know, map out what you're actually going to do. Um, situations are complicated, you know, and we all understand that. But I just want to make the point, it, it is right for you to protect yourself and not to accept continued mistreatment because you deserve to eat and sleep and breathe in peace. You really do, right? And sometimes it, they, we can have breakthrough moments, you know, just staring ourselves in the mirror <laughs> and saying, you know, I deserve to live in peace, right? I don't have to put up with this really severe um, mistreatment. Okay, um, and and I just want to promise you, or or emphasize the promise from God that God has good work for you to do. God has important stuff in in line for your life, real purpose. Okay, things that God really is expecting from you, that you're going to need to be strong and well risk, well rested in order to fulfill God's calling on your life. Okay. And so, you know, saying no to somebody who is really tearing you down, that is a faithful choice. That is an, a way that you can actually be faithful to God as well as good to yourself. Okay? So that is the first, that's one thing. Protect yourself from those who, who do want to hurt you. Okay? And the next thing might be to ask, what is your heart's orientation to the one who harmed you and never said they were sorry? Do you hate this person? Do you want them to suffer? That would be understandable, you know, but it's not good. It's not good. You know, hate is not good for you, even if they deserve it. Um, this, this, so my recommendation is to commend this person to God, uh, lift them up to the Lord. Yeah. Well, that's not my recommendation. That's Jesus's instruction, right? Bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you. But I, I raise the concern, um, and I, I want us to, to at least acknowledge the thin line that we walk with these things, okay? Um, I know that when we feel animosity towards someone who has abused us, or we just feel anger, let's say, and that anger may be right, okay? Uh, but then we start thinking about God, <laughs> and our minds 
can drift quite easily into that territory where we imagine that God will be our vindicator and God will be our enforcer or even our hitman, right? Like I would commend someone to God because I have not gotten what I am owed. I can never get this person back. I can never make them feel what they made me feel. So I will give them up to the Lord, by which I mean that the Lord will make them pay. The Lord will execute vengeance on my behalf. And friends, that is not the path to life for you and for me. It, it is not. Hoping that God will condemn people that we wish God would condemn. <laughs> Cherishing visions of a wrongdoer's destruction is a poisoned pastry, I'm telling you. <laughs> a bitter heart won't sing the true glory of the Lord. But... <laughs> Here's the upside. If you bless somebody to the Lord, you know, if you bless them, right, you can release them. You can. Bid them well, let them go. You can say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. <laughs> and I know that you love this person who hurt me. And I know that that's right. So I'm going to let you have them. And I'm going to go. I'm not going to hate them. And I'm not going to take them with me. I'm going to do my life. I'm going to follow my calling. I don't know what's going to happen to them with their story. And that is okay. I will pray life and joy and wisdom and trust for them. And I'm going to let you take it from here, Jesus, <laughs> because I know that you know what's best for them. And I'll see myself out. Okay. This is an option for us in the aftermath of hurt where there is no reconciliation. Okay. And as you make your way forward from this decision, as you have commended somebody to the Lord, you, you may recognize then, as you're going, as you're on that path heading toward the sunset, you may, you may recognize at some point, maybe not right away, but at some point you may see that your future does not rest on the assurance of their contrition. It doesn't. You do not rely on the hope that one day they will see the light. In fact, you may stop trying to see the future altogether. And you won't draw strength from your own infallibility. Those dreams are smoke. You'll need something truer than that. And there is something truer than that. There is. It is God's unmerited favor to give us life, to give us provision and protection and purpose the well from which we draw courage and creativity and forgiveness. It is the light that shows us the way and the strength that allows us to walk. This is grace. And it is sufficient. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>